Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Very excited about this episode, as usual. Me too. And I'm excited because it's beginning to feel a lot like spring. Springtime! I know cherry blossoms are popping in Brooklyn. It is my favorite time of year. Yeah, Cherry Blossom photo shoot. All right, thank you for joining us for another episode of Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And just a few royal reminders, as always, before we dive in, you can follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast is the handle. You can also send us an email. We love, love, love getting listener emails. We've gotten a bunch recently that are amazing. So we we have a backlog of them. We promise we'll get to them. We read it. Every single one that comes in. So basically, email us at info at gallerypodcasts.com. Rachel, what's on tap for today? Well, we are going to be spending a good amount of time talking about the Cambridges in the Caribbean, the fashion and the backlash, Roberta. Also, Mother's Day in the UK, Prince Philip's upcoming service of Thanksgiving, and an unexpected or... I don't know what else, what the right word is there, guest. We also have a conversation with Nikki Kristoff. And this is something that I think Roberta and I were really excited to coordinate, but she is an expert in crisis PR. And we wanted to hear from her on ways the monarchy can improve their communication strategy. I love that we had Nikki on because she has such expertise in crisis PR, but also she was kind of this political figure. And so her some fun facts about her real quick. She sent us these. This is so interesting. First one is she put a sweater on John McCain to make him seem less gruff for some political appearances. Wow. I know. Next one, she got the president of the U.S. She doesn't specify which one, but she got the president of the U.S. on the phone with the Uber CEO. She's really making these connections here. And she once canceled a 60 Minutes interview for a billionaire after he told her not to because she knew they were planning a hit piece. Definitely someone you want in your corner, I would say. Like a fixer almost. Yeah, Yeah, I love (laughs) it. She is wonderful and that conversation is coming up. But first, Roberta, what are we sipping? And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. So today we are sipping. Let me pop mine real quick. These are Hello Gorgeous. Ooh, love that sound. Canned cocktails. This is a first premium cocktail straight from France. It's vodka and rosé mixed together, and it's a wonderful springtime refreshment. They sent it to us to try, and if you see this in the grocery store, I would pick it's it up. It's so if pretty, and it just is yeah. a delicate um, clementine and peach mm. flavor, so I'm into it. It's a great way to kickstart this Wednesday, right and early. Yeah. <laughs> I would never mix vodka and rosé on my own, but this works really well. All right, but so. Roberta, we have to, while we're sipping, talk about the biggest news of the week is that we got together. We saw each other in person. It we always feels brunch. like the stars align when this happens because, well, A, you're such a jet setter all the time, but also it's just like the no. pandemic. It, it's made it this real blocker on us getting together. I know. And it was so Ugh. much fun. We got to have what well, we have sparkling rosé. Yes. We had 
brunch at this wonderful restaurant with all these statues, a sculpture garden. <laughs> a sculpture we were eating garden in a sculpture garden. In New Jersey. Basically. Yes. Halfway yeah. point. It was wonderful. Yeah. And I think the most hilarious part was we definitely had like a plan to catch up, but then we had a to-do list as well because we are super type A together. Perfect team. <laughs> we were like, we need photos together. We need photos with our book. We need to sign copies of the book. This is actually the three-month anniversary of Royal Trivia being out in the world this Isn't week. Isn't that so wild? It's crazy. I also feel like we annoyed the waiters so much at the restaurant because we were not ready to order at all. We wanted to catch up and talk yes. so much. And they were like, are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? And we were like, no, no, no. We come just back, have so back. much. Yeah. We cannot even, we we're just like caught in each other's orbit. We cannot look around. We just can't be distracted by a menu right now. Yeah. It was wonderful. It was delightful. All right. Well, we have a wonderful listener email from Sierra. We She mentioned that she knows that Roberta and I love an unexpected royal connection, which we do. And she had to share one. So this is a part of her note. We paraphrased a little bit. She said, my husband and I are big Formula One fans and watching the first race of the season today, which was on Sunday, March 20th, 2022, there was a royal sighting. During the grid walk of the Bahrain Grand Prix, the camera panned right past Princess Eugenie twice. With seeing Eugenie at the Grand Prix today and with two American Grand Prix on the calendar for this year, I think there may be a chance that Harry and Meghan may be in attendance at one of those as well. Pippa Middleton traveled to the Austin Grand Prix last year with her husband, so even though the chances are very low, we might get a Cambridge appearance at some point this year as well. All conjecture, of course, but this is an amazing hypothesis or prediction. What do you think, Roberta? Yeah, I mean, Eugenie and Beatrice, both sisters and both their husbands were there at the Bahrain Grand Prix this weekend. And today is Eugenie's birthday, so we should toast. Happy oh, birthday, Eugenie. Cheers. Happy cheers. Eugenie. Happy, happy Eugenie. Happy, happy birthday, <laughs> Princess Eugenie. March 23rd is her actual day, right? Yeah, I love the connection to the Grand Prix because I think this is a good call that we might see them at something like this. This is something I'm totally not um, knowledgeable about at all, but I had a friend actually go to a Grand Prix that was in the U.S., and Mm. it's very fancy. It's a very fancy thing, but I guess James Matthews is also involved in a racing team, and Edward and Sophie represented the monarchy for the Grand Prix last year at Silverstone. So fun. That's what Sierra pointed out, a few connections. Can I tack on this really funny tangent that happened last night that I got the best text ever, and I feel like the Row Rose would be able to solve this as well as Roberta, but my friend texted me that her daughter, who I believe is eight or nine, is studying biographies and has to create a living wax museum. And they have to dress up like a famous person and share facts about them. And she chose Princess Diana. So my friend (gasps) panicked and was like, what does she wear? And so I was trying to think of all the things that she could put together. She was like, do you have any props? And I was like, I don't think I can give her the rowing blazers, but maybe I could. I was like, maybe we could mock up. I would come over and we could mock up like some sheep on like a red shirt just so it's Yeah, that's a good idea. What else would you have her wear? That's so fun. I feel like she needs to wear a blue sapphire ring. Yes. Like a costume jewelry ring, you know? Um, A tiara? A tiara. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Is she going for a sheep sweater or is she going for dressy? Because I think there's like so many cute things you could do with like a dressy outfit, which is like a wide brim. Or no. Not a wide brim hat. Remember we read that fun fact that she oh, didn't yes, wear those hats it, so she could be closer to kids when she bent down. So Isn't this the best project and the best um, selection? You have to send pictures. I will have to like, post pictures. it yeah. and tag everyone. <laughs> it's incredible. Ta- we'll, we'll post it to the Royal I had to crowdsource. Account. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. Okay. This week in Royal History. And now, 
This week in royal history. Just going to do a quick one this week, but it's Mother's Day in the UK this coming Sunday, March 27th. It's actually known as Mothering Sunday in the UK. And this is what I didn't know, Rachel. I read on the BBC that although it's often called Mother's Day, it actually has no connection with the American festival of the same name. Hmm. Centuries ago, it was a day when children, mainly daughters, who had gone to work as domestic servants in towns outside of their hometown, were given a day off to visit their mother and family, specifically their mother church or parish where they were raised. And on the way home, these kids would pick flowers for their mom because they hadn't seen them in a long time. I know it's so sweet. So that's why we like, that's why people in the UK would give their moms flowers and gifts. And last year, the Cambridge kids baked a homemade cake with those pipe cleaner hearts on top, which was really cute. And they made cards for Granny Diana, which was so sweet. Um, Princess Charlotte even wrote, Papa misses you so much. And it was kind of a weird time because it was one week post Oprah interview last year. It was wow. earlier. It was March I didn't realize 14th, that. I believe. Yeah. And it was also just a few days. This Thursday was when Prince William said, we are very much not a racist family. And then Mother's Day was that Sunday, Mothering Sunday, as they call it. So, yeah, the Sussex spokesperson also confirmed that Harry had flowers laid on his mother's grave in Althorpe last year. So, last year. So, we'll see if there's anything this year that comes about this coming Sunday. We're recording this week before, obviously. Um, But it does seem like the Cambridges really miss the kids back home. They keep mentioning them on this Caribbean tour. Well, my preference is to celebrate both. Just saying. <laughs> UK Mother's Day and Mother's Day in the US. Double the double yeah. the joy. I feel like that's what Megan and Harry have to do, kind of, because he was raised one way and she was raised with Mother's Day in the US. So they do both and they honor Diana on one day, which is really sweet. And yeah. hopefully Doria and Megan get the US holiday, which is in May and it's coming up quick in case I'm like, uh, I have not prepared for that. <laughs> Need <laughs> I to think about what I'm getting my mom. I know. are talking about the Cambridge's Caribbean tour, and they will be back from that in time for Mother's Day because the day this episode drops will be day six of the tour, which they are in Belize, Jamaica, and the Bahamas, and it wraps on Saturday or Mother's Day UK Eve <laughs> on the 26th. Yeah. Kate will be back in time, which is Yeah. Great. So the summary so far, I feel like I wanted to sum it up, Roberta, is fashion, fanfare, and a lot of fallout. You know, it's the first mm. overseas tour since the pandemic. It's obviously, yeah, the three Fs. It's in honor of the queen's 70 years on the throne, her platinum jubilee. But it's also happening in the wake of Barbados removing the queen as the head of state. And the complexities of that are quite real. I mean, I think we are all so thrilled to see the Cambridges back on a royal tour, but we simultaneously, I know you feel the way we talked about it at our brunch, but we're cringing at the problematic parts of all this. It's like there's a lot of fashion, but then there's this massive elephant in the room that the Cambridges aren't addressing, it feels. Am I accurate in saying that? There's been no conversation about that on this tour so far. You know, we first saw the protests happening in Belize, and then there was the open letter from Jamaica, and now Bahamas are planning also a protest, and there was another open letter from the Bahamas, which we haven't seen them go to yet when we are recording this, but we will. Um, So it just, I think, you know, there's going to be questions once they leave, what's 
going to happen because a lot of promises have been made that they will start the process of removing the queen as head of state. Yeah, Jamaica announced that that's begun in time for their 60th anniversary of independence on August 6th, though that is supposedly in motion. They announced it on Tuesday. So yeah, yeah, I mean, it's complicated. Before we get into more of that, I was going to say, let's start by talking about the fashion. Does that sound good to you? Let's get the fluff out of the way. I love the fluff, but we need to get it out of the way. Yeah. Uh, Kate's princess moment, the pink dress. Thoughts, reactions. Roberta, tell me. We should say that it was by the vampire's wife and it was custom. And she wore it to the base of Belize's Mayan ruins. It was striking. I want to ask you, Rachel, do you feel like it was inappropriate given the dress code? Because I've seen that a lot and I am so torn because, Mm -hmm. yes, it was 90 degrees. Yes, William looked underdressed next to her. But I also think cocktail, summer cocktail attire could require – I don't know. I I feel like that – like – you know, Elizabeth Holmes pointed this out too. Like people come for this princess moment. And so Kate was doing the what job. she does best. Yeah, she was doing the job. But it did feel more appropriate for like James Bond than a summer evening party. Like William was in Chino. So I think that's what threw me. And then I, I can't help but wonder like, you know, we've all been in that situation where we're either overdressed or underdressed. Like I know yeah. that there's a lot of strategy behind this and everything is pre-planned. Do you think Kate is just like – Ooh, it's this is awkward. I like way went too big here. I don't know. I just I thought I she looked incredible. <laughs> I want to be clear on that. Like yeah. I wish I had an a reason to work a dress like that into my wardrobe. And maybe she felt the yeah. same. Yeah. I almost was a little mad at William because I was like, his team could probably pivot easier yeah. than hers as far as dress code and like throw a tie on him so it just suit. doesn't look like he's because he actually even buttoned his shirt open so that there was it like extra cash on William's part. Like, I just am like, why could he not like make this a little bit dressier just so that it doesn't look as a striking contrast? But I do think, you know, Kate is all of us in post-pandemic world that we're like, Let's throw on our fanciest, most fun get up and just feel like that. You know, embrace the. I changed my time outfit like six times before I saw you. I know I ended up in jeans and a white button down, but I did put a lot of effort into. I just feel to like see I have you. so many fancy clothes that I haven't been able to wear in so long. So I, I'm like totally team dress for this. Moving on, the Kate, her Tory Burch dress, also worn in Belize. I just wanted to know. Did you feel like that was a nap dress? Maybe I have nap dress on the yes. brain because I oh, just 100%. bought a new one in the new color palette, which I'm obsessed with. It's like a bright pink. But I just, I thought it looked very, had those vibes. Yeah. Nap dress for sure. Love the color. Didn't like the Saison earrings because I did remember yeah. that backlash from when Diet Prada first posted about that. Um, not a good choice. Not a good choice. There should have been more local fashion infused in this, I think. Yeah, and that that's was really kind of a miss. missing except really just accessories so far. I mean, we're only at the Mm. midway point, I guess, as we're recording this episode, but there's been conversations about the fact that Natasha is on maternity leave and, you know, Mm. how much pre-planning she's been on maternity leave since December. Like, how do they map that out? What is the flexibility once all the looks are set? You know, it's just. Yeah, I'm expecting some more beautiful gowns though, because we do have a fancy reception tonight. Oh, that's right. Uh, that in Jamaica. So we're recording this on Wednesday. So hopefully we get to see something beautiful. Okay. The yellow dress, if I had a favorite look, I don't know what yours is so far, but the yellow dress is mine. Really? I just, I think it is so striking whenever any of the royals wear this bright, bright yellow. I love, Kate's wore it to Wimbledon. She's worn it to Australia, but Megan also, remember she had it at that like sleeveless look at the- Commonwealth youth um, gathering. Exactly. incredible. But I think it's by Roxanda- it's also bespoke, and she wore it to arrive in Jamaica, but 
That video that Emily Nash from Hello shared, that is my favorite part about the dress, the wind effect, like what they dealt with upon landing. And you can't anticipate that. Just seeing, yeah. I mean, did you see how hard Kate was trying to hold the That's what made me down? kind of not like it, actually, <laughs> which is interesting. I, I felt like it was like too... It was too lightweight for what she was doing. And then the wind, it was like, I was stressed. I was so yeah, stressed. Yeah, it was stressful to watch. But I just love the color. The color is, I couldn't pull that color yeah. off, I don't think. But did you have a favorite look so far, Roberta, or no? Um, I think Vampire's Wife dress for sure. I liked the anklet moment, which I was like, anklets are back, question mark. But it was part of the shoes she was wearing. Um, I also feel like we need to talk about her hair. Because oh, yes. we haven't really seen sleek hair and what a bold move for a humid climate, but I like it. it I looks think it looks very incredible. modern. The, the yeah. perfect middle part. I think um, mm-hmm. it makes me feel like their team is listening to Royally Obsessed. No? After Lainey coming on? Because <laughs> like, I just feel like it's oh. such a pivot. You know, like we're seeing yeah. some very different hairstyles from Kate this year so far instead of just the, you know, this typical kind of It almost looks like she got blowout. Um, Keratin treatment. Keratin treatment. I feel like she got it. Yeah, because her natural hair is actually curly. I would love to see her natural hair at some point, like really, really curly, because I think that's kind of what I expected here as well. Yeah. I do want to get into the protests just a little bit more. You know, you mentioned what we've seen in Belize and Jamaica. And I think just the juxtaposition again of like Kate and William on this glittering tour and then the backdrop of colonialism and requests for these slavery reparations. I think it's just really complex, again, to watch. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think what's been really striking for me is that William is expected to make remarks on this at some point, but and there has been comments from him about Ukraine, which isn't connected at all, but it just, again, it feels like it's a major miss to just ignore it. You know, even when Charles went to Barbados, there was an acknowledgement, but that's what feels Mm. sort of awkward to me, Roberta. Do you feel that way? Yeah, and I feel like we've seen kind of this wave of, independence talk before and um and actually in history when the queen first ascended the throne i looked this up that there was a lot of talk because they just weren't sure about you know a female sovereign and they Mm -hmm. you know felt like her dad passed away and this was the right moment and then she kind of went on a goodwill tour and really beefed up the commonwealth and that's when it went from eight nations to 54 nations and i feel like the queen has so much goodwill riding for her and then Kate and William, like it's almost like they've become too complacent maybe with their position and they need to just, instead of staying silent, need to do more and speak up more. That's yeah. that's how I feel. Like this is the 21st century. So even thinking about, you know, I think the Oprah fallout is a big part of this too in terms of reactions yeah. to the monarchy. It's at this sort of tipping point of transition as well. And when Harry and Meghan, who were named president and vice president of the Queen's Commonwealth Trust, remember they had that event at the beginning of the pandemic and Harry made remarks about really the only way for the Commonwealth to move forward is to acknowledge the past. And everyone has to get uncomfortable to do that. It feels like that's, again, the miss where there's not a lot of pressing to address what needs to be rectified. And that's where this tour just feels out of touch. Yes. It feels like William and Kate don't want to get uncomfortable. And like I just think that they have laid low and stayed silent about things for too long. And that isn't how. Yeah, it's cumulative. We operate today. Yeah. You know, so it's a, there's an expectation there, I think. And yeah, and it'll be a miss if they don't say anything. Well, and I did want to also just mention that I thought was interesting. Robert Lacey has shared remarks on this. And he made the suggestion that potentially with Charles becoming king, like 
that Charles becomes king of just the UK? Like, is that the future? And Queen Elizabeth is is the last queen of the world or how just basically Mm -hmm. we need to evolve the Commonwealth and how we think about it. Mm-hmm. you know, the diversity and the cohesiveness and all of that. So a lot of pressure on Charles to figure that out, I I feel. But yeah. we can start now. All right. Are we Caribbean toured out? Okay. Let's end on our favorite moments, Roberta. What are your favorite? I think I have to say my favorite moment is them dancing with the Garifuna community. That was so much fun to watch. I watched those videos over and over and over again. It was it's great to see them break out of their shell. Yeah. I don't know. It's they looked really, really happy. Fun. I agree. I loved the scuba video. That's another thing that's yes. just such a pivot. And like, I didn't realize that Kate, of course, has advanced certification in deep scuba diving. She got it in she 2015. Wow. And But I loved like the OK signs. But more importantly than the Cambridges, I love the sharks. <laughs> Oh, I know. I know. I know you had a recent shark sighting. How did they squeeze all this in? Like, it just blows my mind how much they get done. And I mean, I guess it requires village. I couldn't do all of that and on my own on vacation. Yeah. So. I'm also it's digging very Chris impressive. Jackson's BTS. I feel like that's like so fun yeah. to just be like, I'm walking through this area. He gives such a great context. So. Yeah. Even Emily Nash, like you said, and Rebecca English from the Daily Mail, like they all have gotten so good at posting of the moment up to the minute updates on Twitter. So it's been really fun to watch that. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll put a cap on the tour for now, but again, it's halfway through. So I'm sure we'll have some more to share next week. Now our interview with PR crisis expert, Nikki Kristoff. Here is our chat with her. Rose, please welcome Nikki Kristoff to the pod. Nikki is the queen of crisis PR. She's a lawyer and the founder and CEO of Kristoff & Co., a D.C.-based consultancy where, among other things, she provides strategic counsel for high-stakes situations. So Roberta and I have been talking a lot, and we talk about it on the podcast, how we just feel like there are constant, you know, the royal family is fumbling a lot of key moments with different, you know, Oprah interview and Prince Andrew and We wanted to get a professional opinion about how the royals can modernize communication or should be doing differently in the wake of all of these things. So on that note, welcome, Nikki. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun and a little bit different for me to talk about the royal family versus what I do for a living, which is mostly corporate clients. But it is not different in the sense that they are for sure in a dumpster fire situation (laughs) (laughs) from press. And that is what I specialize in. Perfect. Um, I love that. This is a great topic for me. In dumpster fires. I love it. (laughs) Well, we wanted to also get a baseline. What is your personal take on the Royals? Are you a fan? Do you keep tabs on them? That is such a great question. And I was going to avoid this, but I'm now going to (laughs) answer it. So I feel like the Royal family is none of my business in this sense. This is an institution for the people who live in the United Kingdom and for the 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 British subjects, right, of the monarchy. And it's a little bit like when Canadians weigh in on U.S. presidential politics. <laughs> so I do follow closely the royal family, as do you. But sometimes I have a little bit of a moment of these are not, this is not my custom. These are not yeah. my flag bearers. And so I try to keep a little bit um, humble in that way, because as an American, I mean, I surely have opinions and I spend money and blow dough on the royals and <laughs> listen to podcasts on it. But it's I feel really strongly that this is about how the British people feel about their queen. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a really interesting perspective. Yeah. 
Well, we also wanted to bring up, because we were emailing before you came on, and you mentioned that the monarchy today is a lot like an NFL franchise. Tell us more. <laughs> I did Never say had that, that comparison. Yeah, here. I, I was did like, say wait, that. what? <laughs> so it is. Okay, so when you think about things from a from a communications perspective, everybody has their stakeholders. They have uh, their fans. They have their shareholders. They might have their constituents who are going to vote for them. So whether it's a candidate or a corporation or a CEO, they have different communications needs. What's different about the royal family and why I did compare them to the NFL, which it's weird I'm using a sports analogy because that's not really where I normally would go, is they have players who are hitting their marks and representing the brand well, and they have players who are not. Mm -hmm. And they also have to keep tremendous interest in what they're doing. And they have millions and millions of viewers watching every single thing that they're doing. So if you're a communications person for the NFL, another similarity is they have a problematic history. Mm -hmm. And so does the royal family. So yeah. you've got this problematic history, these difficult changing times, and you're thinking about how that's evolving. The British Empire has shrunk during Queen Elizabeth's lifetime. And so it's just sort of being on shifting sands with players you can't control and mm -hmm. franchise owners you can't control. So it really reminds me a lot of the NFL. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Incredible. Yeah, I do think also the problematic history is such an important point to bring up. Um, one of the, I'm sure you've heard of this before, the royal family policy of never complain, never explain. That comes up all the time for Rachel and I. Post-Oprah interview, post-Prince Andrew debacle, do you feel like that policy still works? This is such an interesting question. And I think you have to think of the two different brands, Queen Elizabeth and the royals and the royals going mm -hmm. forward because we're right on the brink of an inflection point for the yeah. monarchy. And for Queen Elizabeth, never complain, never explain has served her very well. She has survived five popes, countless prime ministers, presidents. She has at times in the 90s, she had a really rough go after Princess Diana's death and the, and the divorce with Charles. But she ended up bouncing back in popularity. And I think especially right now, she has three elements that make, I hate to say her brand, but that's what I'm here for, yeah. her brand, yeah. really compelling, which is empathy, credibility, and trustworthiness. People yeah. really feel that way about Queen Elizabeth. Now, then there's the royal family and their brand. Mm -hmm. And Prince Andrew was complaining and explaining in that interview. That is not Very true. their strategy. <laughs> and so you just know, I mean, that was off. He was not hitting his marks correctly based on what they do. So your question was, what should they do it going forward? It has worked for Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. It is shifting. And I think that there's a moment we all are sort of holding our breath, but there will be a change imminently in how people think about the royals because she will pass away and then things will change. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and also, like, she didn't – I think social media is such an interesting component in terms of how rapidly all of this information spreads, and it's something she didn't have to deal with. Yeah. Well, they didn't have television when she was born. And by the way, though, she has dealt with it and evolved over time. Yeah. So she gave birth to two babies while she was the reigning queen when there was television. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you even imagine the pressure on her? And so yeah. they have a Twitter feed. They have a YouTube channel. But they're not going to respond with the speed that celebrity news goes. They're just not going to. And I don't know that it's in their interest to do so because over the a medium and longer term time horizon, they tend to bounce back and brown, brand. And I say they, and really I'm talking about the royal we, which is the queen and her corgis. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going to happen to the family overall 
um, in the coming years. Yeah. So it's kind of like it works for the queen historically, but going forward, the younger royals might have more difficulty in this never complain, never explain. Precisely. Got it. Yeah. I want you, Nikki, to put on your crisis PR hat for us for a second. If you were, and God forbid, had to advise Prince Andrew, what would you have told him to do? I mean, what would you suggest? This is all like before the settlement and everything happened. Yes. So one thing to remember, and uh, this is actually a British expression, a fish rots from the head down. Okay. There is no way that Prince Andrew would have done that interview if Queen Elizabeth said, you're not doing that interview. He wouldn't have done it. So she may not have said, go complain and explain on Newsnight. She certainly didn't, but she didn't shut it down. Yeah. We know that his communications advisors didn't want him to do it. One of them resigned before he even did the interview. So they were telling him what I would have told him, which is say nothing. But Prince Andrew has respectfully, the self-awareness of a vampire. I mean, he is not <laughs> empathetic. He His demeanor is not remorseful. He does not have any goodwill, and he evokes no empathy. So everything he says backfires. So his team, I'm sure, just was watching through their fingers. I was watching through my fingers. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And it's common to watch your client or candidate or say, you, I used to work in white-collar criminal defense, your wow. client on a stand shoot themselves in the foot. But not that often do we see someone shoot themselves in the head. And that's what he did on TV. I mean, it was so bad. But I yeah. think his team told him not to do it. But ultimately, it anyway. they don't have the decision-making power. Yeah. Right? I mean, I guess that's just what she was thinking. I mean, you're saying it came from the top. So, I mean, what what could have been the reason for that? <laughs> like, why would that have been a good idea? If we, I mean, I, mean, I guess I, that's what I feel is a head-scratcher. It was a terrible idea. So I don't picture Queen Elizabeth coming in and saying, you know what, Andrew, go on TV. What I suspect happened is even though he's 62 years old, he has this sort of petulant childlike mm. quality that just you can sense it in every cell. So you can almost picture you've got the the staff, the people who manage him, you have the people who manage the Queen's communications. And probably he went to breakfast and just said, I want to do this. I want to explain myself. And she has a soft spot for him. She has a blind Mm, spot for him. He's her son. And we see that in other, you could compare it to President Biden and his son Hunter. They have a soft spot for these troubled kids who cause them no end of press problems. Mm. And so she probably, I'm, I'm sure she didn't encourage it, but if she had said no, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Well, I think also what's so interesting, Roberta and I watch is like, how do they pick and choose the the truths and mistruths that they weigh in on? Because I think that, you know, they will refute certain things like Kate, the allegation that Kate had Botox, but they won't step in when it's something about, you know, the Oprah interview, which felt like we were all waiting for some, you know, acknowledgement, bigger, acknowledgement yeah. that was bigger than what they ended up coming out yes. with. So what are your thoughts on that? So I think it's important to remember that they have a very specific audience, and it is British taxpayers. Mm -hmm. They are tolerated as an institution by British taxpayers. No one in the United Kingdom, if you've said, should we create a monarchy if they didn't have one, would say, like, yeah, we should definitely do that. So they, (laughs) they they inherited it, and they continue to pay for them. And so when the palace is thinking through their stakeholders and their audience, they're really thinking about that group of people. And it's I've heard you guys talk about, why do they talk so much to the Daily Mail? It's because it has millions of of British readers. Yeah, yeah. So it matters. The Oprah interview, in some ways, although it fe- you know might have hurt their uh, 
the sentiment around their brand has actually increased interest in the brand. So one of the defenses of why you keep the royal family is they bring a ton of money into the UK mm -hmm. because people care about the UK because they have a royal family. So the interest is sky high. Yeah. So why respond to it? It doesn't help them with their most important stakeholders, which are British taxpayers, and it doesn't really necessarily hurt them when it comes to interest in the royals overall. Yeah, absolutely. One woman's opinion. No, <laughs> this is so, I, I love this. I it's love fascinating. This. We fascinating. were curious too, just like, you know, giving you kind of a blank slate, like historically, what else have they done wrong? Like we're giving you these examples, but if you're, you know, just following along, what drives you absolutely crazy? And it could go all the way back to the Diana days. Like they've been in the kind of, you know, the beginnings of tabloid culture. This has been going on for so long. What just is like, oh, for you? <laughs> <laughs> I think the things that I feel that way about, again, are probably not coming from the communications team itself. It's probably coming from the complexities of the dynamics behind the scenes that we can't see. Um, I think if we, again, go back to the concepts of credibility, empathy, and goodwill, you see at times, Charles in particular, Prince Charles has really struggled to garner any empathy. And mm -hmm. I think certainly around Diana, that might have been a lifetime. I don't know that he's going to recover on the empathy level, but he's mm -hmm. done a good job working on his credibility and trying to build goodwill. I mean, he's been really good on climate. Mm -hmm. I feel the Prince Andrew interview obviously was a low point. I think there was a sense after Diana died when they said nothing and everyone waited and everyone was just waiting and waiting and waiting. The popularity of the royals was crashing. But five days after the funeral, the queen addressed the nation and it bounced right back. So I know I'm not saying what, what people might want to hear, but I actually think their their communications are effective, again, for their objective, mm -hmm. which is not to be beloved by Americans. Yeah. Right. And do you think, because you mentioned like there's this complexity, but a lot of times these decisions come from the top. Is there like... If there were less press officers, would things be easier? Like, what are you, I mean, just like a recommendation for this kind of corporation as they are. That is such a great question. And I don't know exactly how it works, but it kind of goes back to the NFL, right? You have each franchise. I mean, our franchise in Washington, D.C. is a, a drag on the NFL. I mean, so many terrible decisions, personnel decisions, the <laughs> yeah. owner's terrible, the, right. you know, the name changing. I mean, the yeah. whole thing is just a total... It is a dumpster fire. And so the NFL doesn't get to control each little franchise. And that's true in some ways, likely, of the Royals, right? They don't get to control every single franchise and the decisions they make because there's just too many appearances. And yeah, the Royal households are separate entities just like that. Yes, exactly. Precisely, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have that ability to control it. I mean, you're not wrong. If you, if you channeled everything through one communications office, it might be easier. But it's maybe not realistic given just the sprawling institution that it is. Mm -hmm. But you're right. They're not coordinated, obviously. Yeah, I that's mean, where it feels like a lot of the problems come from because we're like these, you know, there's different agendas and then things get covered up. And is that on purpose or is that, you know, to make one household look better or whatever it is? So I was just going to ask, like, just sort of one final question. Is there any just immediate change you would make or you think we really have to kind of wait and see as this changing of the guard that's imminent is going to occur? Like, is it sort of that's the moment for a big overhaul or there would just kind of keep tailoring things. They'll keep tailoring things to their primary audience. 
what will happen is there's a really interesting article, and I know you are royal super fans and your your listeners are too. There's a really interesting article from 2017 in The Guardian called London Bridge is Down, which is mm-hmm. the code for when the queen dies. Mm-hmm. People literally have black armbands in their cupboards for when that happens. So I don't think that we can understand how profound of a moment that's going to be for the mm-hmm. British people, right? So I do think that at that point, there will be a change. And I think you'll see Prince Charles is in some ways a placeholder because William and Kate and their children are going to be so important for the reputation and brand. And they are already starting to do things, the photos that they put out, the, you know, you can hear her voice. I didn't hear Kate's voice for years. And then you now hear her voice. So they are speaking up. And I think at that point, you'll see a more modern, potentially approach to the press and to social media. But we are going to wait for that moment. I think that everyone is just going to until, you know, she's 95 years old. And um, again, so much empathy for her and what she's been through with her loss of her husband and being isolated Mm -hmm. during COVID. And unlike Boris Johnson, she actually stayed isolated. And (laughs) so I think people will just wait. And then after that momentous occasion, which will occur, there'll be a pivot. Yeah. One thing I just thought of, though, Nikki, is like, yes, the British taxpayer is the audience. But what about the Commonwealth? Because I think that's come up really recently in the fact that there are all of these countries that she's sovereign of. And, you know, with William and Kate, this is like such a tangent now that I just thought of, but just them in the Caribbean and that's also their audience. And they've kind of had some blowback and pushback from that. So you have. Absolutely. Just this week, you see people rejecting their visits in the Caribbean. And I think that's something that I hope that there's not a lack of awareness in among most of the royals, but you end up with subjects through subjugation. Yeah. So that goes to the problematic history of this institution. Yeah, right. And times are changing. And I again, I think that's where you separate the two brands. Queen Elizabeth, who I think still has a lot of goodwill mm-hmm. um, in the among the Commonwealth. But I don't know going forward that it makes sense and will be acceptable to do those visits because it's like not reading the room at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a great summation. Yeah. Great point, though. I think that's an excellent point because we're seeing more pushback because people are bringing up. I mean, again, you get that wealth and that status and that power through atrocities. <laughs> I mean, that's just yeah. a fact. Yeah. And we love them in a lot of ways. And we love the fashion and we pay attention to it. But underlying it are some really problematic historical facts. Right. Yeah. And in a wider audience that I feel like historically hasn't been paid attention to until we get this kind of globalization with social media and the internet and all that. So, so fascinating. Nikki, this was so, so wonderful to have you on. We're thrilled we got to chat with you. Yeah. And Thanks tell so our audience as well where they can keep up with you and and plug your podcast where we want to oh, make yes. sure everyone knows about your podcast. Yes. So I have a weekly podcast called Teched Up. It's on Thursdays. And I address basically helping people get up to speed on tech technology issues. So I've worked in with tech companies for the last 15 years and mostly on crises, hacking and um, firing founders and again, dumpster fires, falling knives. <laughs> but my podcast Sounds is juicy. really, <laughs> it's juicy. That's not the podcast. Yeah. It's a lot of 101. So cryptocurrency, 
I've done, I think, a really good accessible crypto 101 series just so people can get up to speed. So thanks for letting me plug it. Yeah, (laughs) we all need that in our life with the evolution of all of this. (laughs) But thank you so much. And we hope we can keep you on speed dial if people still say speed dial anymore. (laughs) Absolutely. Keep me on speed dial. Thank you (laughs) so much for having me. Thank you. All right, before we adjourn the Royal Pod, here are our highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. My low is that Camilla was named National Theater Patron. Reminder, this was a former Megan patronages. The reason it's my low is just because I feel like it should have gone to Prince Edward. Why he Prince Edward? Left. I didn't know. He left the Royal Marines for a career in theater. Oh, that makes sense. He left it because he was unsure that that was his life calling. And then he actually did do a lot with the theater community. He was an amateur actor for a lot of his life. It just feels weird because I feel like there's also this talk and probably just rumors about him not getting the Duke of Edinburgh title Mm. when Charles becomes king that he might not give it to him so it feels like Charles is already kind of slimming down the monarchy by giving this to Camilla instead of his brother so and simultaneously we have scratcher yeah we have been seeing more of Edward and Sophie so I'm curious what their role and then a lot of theater events like that Bridgerton um the one where Roger Jean Page was at. Oh, yeah. So I just, I feel like it's kind of weird to not give it to someone whose interest it's in. That was something the queen is so good at. Yeah, very, at, so. very true. My low is that Andrew, Prince Andrew, will be at the service of Thanksgiving. I think we were probably expecting mm. that a little bit. but And then he's supposed to disappear from public life. I mean, he keeps being spotted riding, very happy, laughing, which is not what any of us want to see. Um, I just feel like, I mean, I get it. It's like, but will he disappear? I feel like yeah, he keeps saying that. That's and then the he's problem. Like I think up. that this just being greenlit for him to be there just feels wrong. And then also, you know, just the thought that he's going to be rubbing elbows with the charity representatives that he once was patron of. Like, who is going to want to smooth with Andrew? You know, no one's going to want to be, like, be like in the frame like, of the same picture. Yeah, exactly. Don't take my photo. Anyways, that's coming up next week. Oh, wait. Maybe one of the best moments of the Caribbean tour was that selfie in the Bob's. Oh, sled. yeah. I, that just I, happened. <laughs> You're totally right. And are they allowed to take selfies? I guess royal protocol be damned. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay, moving on. We'll, we'll <laughs> I forgot. We'll get to our high. That might be my high, but also my high is just virtual audio is making a return plus Ukraine donations and maybe presenting an Oscar. Wait, what? Megan I didn't Harry hear presenting the an Oscar. Presenting? Yeah, so that's coming up this Sunday and not supposedly, to Spencer, though, right? <laughs> no. So the Sussexes were actually approached to present an Oscar and they had their pick. They I think this is obviously this is all just speculation but according to the source they were asked and originally they were going to do best actress but then Kristen Stewart and Spencer they want to avoid that so they might do best picture I don't know I'm that definitely gonna be, be tuning in huge oh my because gosh. Beyonce is performing at the Oscars so Ooh. it's going to be amazing I'm so excited and also we're getting new podcast episodes coming this summer from Megan that was the latest so my high is just simply that toddler on St. Patrick's Day. Did you see uh, that adorable? Gaia. I think yes. it was Gaia. She's 20 months, the daughter of the Irish guard. It was at that St. Patrick's parade with the Cambridges. My favorite clip. Yes, she did slip on the bearskin hat, Roberta, but did you also see the video where she gives Kate the flowers and then goes and hides behind her mom and then goes and takes them back? And she's like, no, nah, yeah. these are mine. 
I'm like, and Kate was like, I feel here you that. go, you can have that. <laughs> it was so sweet. It was really just a great um, interaction. She I love those candid so moments. She's so cute. Yeah. Her like wide eye, like what is going on? Those pictures are just She's like, hysterical. actually, these peonies are pretty nice. I'm going to take them back. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> oh, totally. All right. Just a reminder before we close, please leave us a royal rating on Apple Podcasts. You just have to scroll down and tap those five stars. We would love it so much. Here's a review, a recent review. It says, I'm a big American Anglophile, and I gave this podcast five stars. Thank you so, so much. Reminder to follow us on Instagram as well. If you haven't already, at Royally Obsessed Podcast and email us at info at gallerypodcasts.com. You can tell us your favorite Caribbean tour moment. Till next week, God God save save the the pod. pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.